I have children for you, and I've known them before the foundation of the world. You don't know who you're gonna dance with, but you know you're gonna dance. God just doesn't want to be with me in all the good moments. He wants to be there when I'm in my car, after work, crying. God has woven a tapestry in us and has taught us so much in these past years. This is West Side Stories. Today on West Side Stories, Atlanta Westside's Director of Spiritual Formation, Ann Henniger, and Senior Pastor, Walter Henniger, are joined by Westside member, Sarah Hobson, to chat about the U.S. National Park System. Trust me when I say that this is an incredible conversation. Sarah has a wonderful way of communicating the importance of our national parks and monuments, as well as a few recommended hidden gems. If the rest of the national parks team is anything like Sarah, it makes me want to quit what I'm doing just to be part of that staff. Disclaimer, I'm not leaving Atlanta Westside. That was just hyperbole. But enough of me gabbing, let's hear from Sarah. Hello, I'm Ann Henniger, and I'm here with my husband, Walter. Hello. And our friend, Sarah Hobson. Hi, nice to be here. So, Sarah, when Jenna Tichi and I were interviewing you to be a community group leader, we just stumbled upon, like, hey, what do you do for a living? And it was so cool that I was like, we, we, more people need to know about this. So tell me what you do for a living. So I work for the National Park Service. My title is very bureaucratic. I am a supervisory management and program analyst. And, and the National Parks is, is bigger, the National Park Service is bigger than just the parks. Is that right? Yes. So there are actually 423 units of the National Park Service, and they range from the big national parks that most people think of, like Yosemite and Yellowstone and Everglades and Smokies, to national seashores like Cape Hatteras and Gulf Islands, uh, to historical places like Martin Luther King Jr. National Historical Park. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. So we have historic sites as well as natural sites. So it just begs to to wonder, like, how did you get into this? Like, what did you go to school for that would lead you into this career? So if you had told me in college that I would one day work for the Park Service, I would have thought that you were telling a story (laughs) because I thought the Park Service was for super fit, outdoorsy people. And uh, those who know me know I am no one's definition of super fit. I am somewhat outdoorsy, but I'm not like a hardcore survivalist. I'm more of a let's stay at the lodge than let's go camping. I do like camping, but... I'm not a let's hike the Appalachian Trail kind of person. Maybe a two to four hour hike, but that's about it. Uh, more, uh, more glamping, is that what they say? Glamping, yeah. <laughs> and you like baked style. goods. So. I do like baked goods. <laughs> I like a nice winery, a nice brewery. Yeah. Um, so after college, I had no plans really for a career. I wanted to live in a city. Again, you're like, how does this jibe with the park service? I'm getting there. Uh, So I moved to Washington, D.C., and I started working in historic preservation, which is what I was really interested in, old buildings. And I worked for a nonprofit called the National Trust for Historic Preservation. I was there several years and was ready to move on to another job, another opportunity. And a former coworker of mine from the trust had gotten a job with the Park Service 
and she heard of an opening in the National Historic Landmarks Program. And that's how I got into the National Park Service is not by being the ranger in the green and gray, but by working with historic preservation. Because the National Park Service, this is another aspect of the Park Service most people don't realize, they're the keepers of determining what's historic for our country when it comes to buildings. So the National Register of Historic Places, National Historic Landmarks, the Park Service really has a pretty large portfolio uh, that most people aren't aware of. Well, I'm really curious about it, too. Like, is it the the aesthetics, the romance of old buildings, the, the history that's associated with them? Like, what's mm. especially what especially drew you to be involved in that kind of work? The stories, the people, and also the craftsmanship mm. that uh, is evidenced in a lot of our historic structures. The thing I love the most about the Park Service is it is about stories and it's about our stories as individuals, our stories as um, people groups, and our story as a country. How do we define ourselves? How do we define America? I like to tell people, if you had to close your eyes and picture America or put together one of those collage boards of America, what would be on it? The places that we think of as America are national parks. So Statue of Liberty is a national park. The White House is a national park. Mount Rushmore is a national park. Those are the places that tell the stories of who we are. And sometimes we have stories of glory and also stories of brokenness. Mm -hmm. And that's our job in the park services to steward those stories, both the brokenness and the glory. That's really intriguing, uh, especially as a Christian, needing to needing to tell the truth mm -hmm. about where um, sin and brokenness has happened and also the need to to give praise where praise is due and to celebrate what is good and true and beautiful. Um, Can you think of an example of each of those? The first time I stood at the edge of the Grand Canyon, my mind could not grasp the vastness of it. I got there and it was close to sunset and that was the first time I went to the edge and watched the sunset and I was just overwhelmed at the awesomeness of God and why would he give us this world and not just a flat world, a beautiful world with these strokes of lush and lavender and peach and over these orange rocks with splotches of green that are fading and it's just gorgeous and I was completely taken by the awesomeness of God and it moved me to tears that his majesty and glory is shared with us through nature. And then a few years ago, I had an opportunity to go to one of our newer parks, Birmingham Civil Rights. And I was visiting um, 16th Street Baptist Church, and the pastor was giving us a tour. And it happened to be on an evening when the church was preparing for a youth event. And I started to cry at the ugliness that we have inflicted on each other and the hatred 
and the sin and evil that we do to each other. And it is our job in the park service to make sure we never forget our brokenness. It's, it's interesting. I just, just came back from there with uh, another few other members of our church, and uh, we went to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute and to 16th Street Baptist, um, heard from Pastor Price, which it's very much a vibrant uh, living church still. And, um, but the, you know, being able to point to like, this is the place in the building where they planted the bomb that killed three little girls. Four? And um, you're right, four little girls. And then the timeline in the basement, kind of walking through everything. I remember one of their volunteers was pointing out that one of the men who was involved in the bombing died before he was ever held accountable for his crimes. And then one of them was not actually convicted until 2002. And realizing that something as, as dark as that had stretched so far into the present day, it, it underscores why, why that needs to be a national park to, be, to preserve telling that story, because the story needs to be told. And we have that throughout the park service, it, whether it's more recent history, which I know it seems strange to call the civil rights movement recent history, but it is. But we also have the places like Okmulgee Mounds here in Georgia, which is the story of people who lived thousands of years ago. And how are we telling their story? How are we honoring those people and their culture? And I, and I imagine as well, I mean, so many of the, the lands that were originally owned by various Native American tribes, they're, they're a lot, there's a lot of brokenness in those stories as well, right? There is, and that's something that we have to continue to work on and work towards doing better and having better relations with tribal nations. But it starts, for me, recognizing our brokenness and how we have not done as well as we could or should and humbly going to our fellow citizens and working with them. I was thinking of a, a friend of ours as a singer-songwriter um, talking about um, people plowing down monuments and putting, you know, parking lots over them. And just like she, in one of her songs, she, it, I think it's a fictitious person, maybe, maybe it's not, but just elevating their story, even though we've kind of raised their, um, the buildings that would have told that story. And I was just thinking that being meaningful for what you do, you're trying to preserve this tangible space that people can experience something different. Um, we could read about it. We can all read about it, but it's something different to walk into the walls of that location and down in the basement and here's this where this is um it's, it's different so your work matters in profound ways how do you not get jaded when faced with some of these darker parts of our story our story isn't all darkness there's light in many places and nothing 
in this world is completely bad or and it's not completely good that's part of living in the fall right is it's all been tainted but it started good yes a lot of our historical sites do have the thread of brokenness running through them but you also have the thread of glory running through them again here we are in atlanta and we have Martin Luther King Jr. National Historical Park. I don't think anyone would deny the glory of Dr. King's words or his vision. Now, it came about because of darkness, but we have the light and the glory of what he said shining in, in that darkness. We do have people in the park service and our partners and friends within our parks working with us to um, do a better job, to hold us accountable, and to tell better stories, to be better storytellers, and um, to push back the effects of the fall, whether it's in history or in nature, because we have also done bad things to our to our environment and to the creation that's been entrusted to us. So it could be Everglades restoration, um, or it could be trying to preserve sites like Freedom Riders in Anniston. In in the in the Old Testament, um, they built altars as remembrance. We are the places where people remember and strive to do better. Amen. It was like Ebenezer stones, That's right? Great. When God God came through for you, and every time you pass it, you remember he will come through for us again. Yes, and for me, that's what the park service is for our country. Like I said, whether it's you need to get out and see the beauty of God's creation and be reminded of the gift that it is, or to look at history and know it doesn't stop where we are, that it does keep going, and that there will be a future kingdom where all is restored. Amen. Amen. How has um, COVID affected the national parks? We are more popular than ever, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. I, I love that people are getting out and finding local places to go. I would encourage people, don't focus just on the big national parks, capital N, capital P. Also look around and find some of those smaller parks to go to. They're still units of the National Park Service and we love them. you have any hidden jewels you want to share? Insider's cut. I will say a lot of people love going to Smokies, and I love Smokies too, but maybe go up and visit Obed River or Big South Fork, which are not too far away. Um, they won't get, be quite as crowded as, as the Smokies, and they're not that far away. And Sarah, uh, what part of the country did you grow up in? So we lived in Georgia until I was 13 and then moved to Utah. So that was a, an adjustment. So <laughs> I remember driving across Wyoming, and I-80 is not in the pretty part of Wyoming, if you've ever been. It's the high plains, and it's pretty desolate. And I remember my mother crying <laughs> the day we drove across Wyoming. And she just said, where's the green? Where's the green? 
And, and any uh, any favorite parks out west from your your time out there? Any Cedar Breaks National Monument in Utah. It gets overlooked because it's a little national monument. It's not one of the mighty five. It's more arid. It's has the the red rocks, and in the, if you go in the spring, it has these gorgeous wild flowers. And it has the bristlecone pines, which there are these trees that cling to the edge, to the very, very edge. We're like, how can anything grow here? And they grow and they thrive and they live for hundreds of years. And they're all twisty and, and gnarled. They look like Dr. Seuss trees. <laughs> <laughs> but they're so amazing and and how they can thrive in these on the just clinging to the edge and live that way for hundreds of years. That'll preach, Walter. I think yeah, you need to put right? that in a sermon somehow. It's like a, a picture both of God's creativity and also of of redemption. Like so much of what you're talking about in historical preservation of hard stories even, is looking for redemption mm-hmm. in, in the midst of, of darkness. Mm-hmm. Um, when you travel to other countries, does your experience in the Park Service kind of give you an even greater appreciation for the United States? Yes, because the Park Service is a uniquely American ideal. We said as a country that these places are so important that they should be preserved and kept open for all people. That's the ideal. Of course, we haven't always lived up to it, but that is the ideal. You go to other countries and you'll see great places. They're preserved because they belong to some wealthy person, but ours don't belong to any one person. They belong to all people. And isn't that a wonderful gift that we steward these places And they're not my places. They're all of our places because it's who we are and that we want to share that, that we want to share the glory of Zion, that we want to share the hush of the Lincoln Memorial with everyone, American and non-American. And you don't have to be a wealthy person or know a wealthy person to get access. You're making me want to go out, go yeah. see things, go do stuff. I kind of want to break into a rendition of This Land is Your Land, <laughs> This Land is My Land. <laughs> you're, you're inspiring. Yeah. You're, even your, your take on this is inspiring. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. Well, I do sit in an office every day, and I have a lot of meetings, and I spend a lot of time on the computer. But I do that so that all of these other things can be possible. But just like anybody else, I have to get out and visit them too to be reminded from time to time of why this is worthwhile. Well, and from someone who benefits from them, thank you. Yes, thank you. It is good kingdom work that you're doing and proud to be in the same body with you. Thank you. Many thanks to Sarah Hobson for joining us on today's episode. And thank you for tuning into West Side Stories. Today's episode was produced and directed by me, Corey Fleeman. It was co-produced and hosted by Anne and Walter Henniger. 
Our editor was Tim Lane. Original music was composed and performed by Tim Lane. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll share it with friends and family. A positive review on your streaming service of choice would also be appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.